Hello and welcome to Imagine Amazing, Oregon HFMA's podcast with its current president. In today's podcast, we have some very special guests that will help us dig deep and expose the guts of what it takes to run the business side of healthcare. As this is the president's podcast, we are joined today by Oregon HFMA's 2020 through 2022 chapter president, Tammy Kuhn, who will be providing us with important chapter updates and healthcare trends in Oregon. And as a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is available on all popular podcast platforms and is now viewable on Oregon HFMA's YouTube channel. To watch the podcast, pop some popcorn, go to YouTube, type in Oregon HFMA Imagine Amazing, click on the desired episode and sit back and enjoy. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Johnson. And I'm the other host, Kelly Smith. Today's episode of Imagine Amazing is sponsored and made possible by one of Oregon HFMA's diamond sponsors, KeyBank. KeyBank generates ideas of middle market clients using a holistic approach that combines deep industry experience with unparalleled capital markets experience. The focus is the same as yours. To help clients achieve their growth goals, your key team delivers tailored strategic solutions to strengthen your organization, streamline your processes, and enhance the financial well-being of your organization. Thank you, Kibe. Welcome back to the podcast, Tammy Kuhn. And congratulations on being reinstated as president of Oregon HFMA. The chapter is so thrilled to have you back for one more year. Can you tell us a little bit about your chapter goals and then also your theme for 2020 through 2022? Thank you, Jeff Johnson. I am very glad to be here. So this year's theme, since we've been in a COVID environment for the last year, is bringing back the magic to the chapter. So I am very excited to see what this year brings in person. And uh, starting in October, we hope to be back in person for conferences again. So uh, a lot of things are changing this next year. Uh, We're going to be bringing in a new chapter website that we're going to launch in another three to four months. Uh, and I'm excited to announce that our winter conference is going to be moving to more of a one-day event. So it'll be held in Portland, and it's going to be, um, we'll alternate between a women's event or an early careerist event or even some workshop events. Uh, so we're really looking forward um, also to planning a certification boot camp during one of these conferences too. So, uh, and last but not least, um, our big event will be back in person in Salishan next year. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Oh, Tammy, thanks so much. We really are so lucky to have you again. I think first time Oregon's had a president repeat the term and we understand the reason why, but we're so glad that it's you. You've done a great job. And I do. I love the new theme and chapter goals that you've presented. And so wonderful that I had the chance to be with you at your installation at Salishan. So I know your continued leadership the chapter will continue to accomplish amazing things and be able to successfully tackle all the changes trending in healthcare today. Speaking of changes, Kelly, we understand that there is a proposed national bill that has already made it through the House of Representatives and is being reviewed and voted on in the U.S. Senate. It is called the Comprehensive Debt Collection Improvement Act, CDCIA HR 2547. Please tell us a little bit more about this, Tammy, and what our members can expect if it is signed into law. Oh, yeah. So this is a really big one. If this bill passes, fundamentally, it can change uh, medical collections forever. 
I mean, this bill states the engagement in activities to collect or attempt to collect a medical debt owed or due or asserted to be owed or due by a consumer before the end of the second year, beginning on the date that the first payment with respect to such medical debt is due. I mean, in simple terms, healthcare providers will not be able to send an account to collections until at least two years old. I mean, that's cash flow is key for many healthcare providers. And I mean, this is just another potential blow to the revenue that the healthcare systems are currently carrying that debt longer in their books. I mean, the impact for healthcare providers is huge. Yeah, Tammy, you're absolutely right about that. And I have some facts to share with you from the 2020 CNBC report. And so one third of all Americans have at least one medical account that is default or in collections. And that report also showed that 30% of these have balances $10,000 or over. So if you think about our population of over 330 million in the U.S., that means that over 110 million U.S. citizens are past due on balances with a healthcare system. And the amount owing is well over 500 billion. So that's a lot of people. It's a lot of money owed to healthcare systems in the U.S. So certainly a, a big impact. Yeah, you're correct, Kelly. I mean, part of the reason that bill was proposed was to give more time to patients who might have a surprise life event. Um, however, I mean, many are worried about the loss of the source of the income to the healthcare providers. How will the healthcare providers be able to, you know, continue to provide the quality educator, quality care of healthcare today? I mean, will providers require that patients pay more upfront uh, for services? And, and how are they gonna continue, how would they have to adjust their services they offer? I mean, that there's a huge delay with the collection and the minimum of the two year. There's a lot that is really unknown on this bill, but it's something that we are definitely watching as a healthcare finance organization. And this is a huge impact. Yeah, Tammy, I'm so glad that we have an opportunity like this podcast to talk about it and get the information out to our members because um, these are important changes that are out there. And I think it's important that healthcare systems study this bill closely and make sure that their voice is heard for good or bad, whichever opinion they have. So if you're hearing this information and would like to share your feedback with the Senate before they vote, feel free to do so by visiting www.senate.gov forward slash senators forward slash senators dash contact. So you can find out more information about this proposed bill by also typing House Bill 2547 into a Google search. Thank you, Jeff. Great information. And just again, would like to recommend that healthcare systems do study this bill and learn more about it if you don't already know so. And just one of the reasons I love this podcast. So great venue for sharing important information, trending healthcare topics, and uh, making sure that others are educated. So thank you for that. And then speaking of important topics, Tammy, can you introduce today's guests and tell us a little bit more about today's podcast topic? I can, Kelly. So um, Oregon HFMA is honored to have KeyBank, one of our diamond sponsors, join us today uh, to go over some key questions that get to the heart of healthcare finance. So joining us today is uh, Ernesto Tosovich, Senior Vice President of Enterprise Banker at KeyBank Commercial Banking, Darren Oldino. 
senior banker, KeyBank Healthcare, and Kendall Hassan, a BP and Western Region Manager from the uh, Key Government Finance. Can each of you guys take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself? And we'll start with you, Ernesto. Thank you, Tammy. We are honored to be here and it's great to see you again, guys. Uh, I'm Ernesto Toskovic. I'm a Senior Vice President and Enterprise Banker at KeyBank. And one of my focuses is healthcare. I've been working with KeyBank for 15 years. I'm also a contributing professor at the LAMET MBA in, in finance. Thank you. And hello, everybody. I'm Darren Odenino. I'm a senior vice president, uh, specifically focused uh, in healthcare. And similar to Ernesto, I cover Oregon, but I also cover the Washington market. I've been with Key about six to seven years and really uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to join you on your web, your podcast today. Thank you, Tammy. My name is Kendall Hansen. I've been with KeyBank for 25 years. My specialty and focus is tax-exempt debt and the direct placement of tax-exempt and taxable loans for both government. 501c3s, and that includes healthcare. That is awesome. Honestly, welcome everybody to the podcast today. We're so excited to have you with us. As you were introducing yourselves, I was just thinking, these people have knowledge I do not possess. So I'm super excited to hear what you guys have to share today. So with that, let's jump into some of the questions to help us get to the heart of healthcare finance and what's going on. If anyone's ever seen a doctor and what they go through to become a doctor, we all know that they graduate with a lot of debt, which holds them back from being able to do other things. Let's go ahead and start with a question for all of you. What are some obstacles you are hearing from healthcare professionals? Yeah. Hey, Jeff, thanks. I'll take that one. And, and, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is healthcare professionals are graduating with more debt than we've ever seen before. Um, many of these loan balances are in excess of $400,000. Um, this creates challenges for them in many areas. Uh, one of these is, you know, where they elect to, to practice post-graduation. Uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, we're seeing many of our clients uh, struggle to recruit personnel, whether that be primary care docs or nurse practitioners or registered nurses, you know, high housing prices combined with high student loan balance can detract those from recently graduated to stay in the area. Um, but fortunately, you know, we've seen that at Key Bank and we're doing two things to really help our clients attract talent uh, in the face of those challenges and then also help providers that are graduating with high debt. And first is we've created a physician slash dentist home loan program that provides financing up to 100% of a home with no PMI required. Um, and at times these loans are closing before the provider has even started working for their new employer. And we're able to do that because our credit team is very familiar with the local health systems, local providers, and understands their contracts. And once an employee has a contract in place, 
they'll go ahead and start working on that, that home loan for them. Um, and then second, on the student loan side, uh, we're providing student loan refinancing uh, to allow professionals to refinance student loan debt into a lower rate. Um, we call this our Laurel Road program and individuals can review in five minutes whether they could save money on their student loans by refinancing into a lower interest rate. And you know this can rep represent significant savings to an individual with a student loan balance in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we found that these programs really help alleviate some of those pain points for the new employees and also helps the employer integrate these programs into the company's overall compensation and benefit package. And, you know, clients have communicated to us that it's a no brainer to offer these programs as a benefit to the employees. Um, I think we should expect continued tightness in the labor market. And uh, we hope that these programs can give professionals the help they need um, after graduation, while also giving our clients, the you know, um, healthcare organizations, the opportunity to attract more talent. Darren, that, that's nice to hear what kind of programs you have as it relates to loans for our providers to help help them survive in their early years as they're coming out of debt and continuing their practices and starting them up. So thank you for sharing very interesting information. I do have another question for you, and that is, what are providers and hospitals looking for when it comes to treasury management? I, I can answer that. Thanks. I think that's a good and very interesting question. Uh, I would say, as always, providers are looking for a banking partner who can be nimble, bring innov innovative solutions, and who is in touch with what's happening, especially in fintech place for uh, for. Uh, Healthcare. I would say they're looking for a true advisory partner who is able to collaborate on solutions to existing problems, or more importantly, bring them awareness of what's happening in the market that could assist them to be more effective and efficient. And I would say these days help with protection against cyber attacks is becoming more and more critical. Uh, we suggest taking advantage of training and white papers that help uh, providers and uh, hospital managers keep up to speed with the changing tactics of cyber, cyber attackers. And uh, for example, each year we at KeyBank together with FBI sponsor a number of seminars to help our clients to be prepared. I would say most healthcare organizations have many users that have access to their systems. And the critical question is, how can they protect themselves against the data breaches? Uh, especially in healthcare, we know that uh, data breaches can be catastrophic. And I would say when staff and the banking partners are alert, and when they have systems in place, fraud or breaches can be identified and stopped early without the damage to the system. And back to this treasury management system, systems, the more automated and streamlined your processes are, the less room for error and compliance problems. And on the other side, the systems need to be flexible enough 
to allow users to be engaged in the process and, uh, and be able to participate in a meaningful way. Another thing that is very important is with uh, more and more employees working, working remotely, safety is, safety is paramount and training is critical to ensure safety and soundness. And uh, we as a bank are very good at that. That's impressive, Ernesto. I mean, I love the fact that you're using fintech. I mean, that's so important. I didn't know that you were playing in that arena. So awesome that KeyBank is doing that. Also, of course, that cyber attacks, we've sat in so many mm-hmm. meetings where hospitals are just shut down and they can't provide the services that they want to. And sometimes it's months that they're shut down or tied up in some way. So awesome that that is available for our listeners. I hope that they will check out what you guys have to offer on that front. Another thing that we see in the U.S. is, of course, inflation. We're seeing more and more of that all the time. So question for you guys, where do you think interest rates are going to go? Well, let me try to answer that one, too. Uh, Okay. I, I would say inflation is notoriously difficult to predict. And when it hits, it's even more difficult to control. And reality is that nobody knows where the inflation will go, but we do know that the higher than expected inflation is already here. If you look at April consumer price index, it increased 4.2% over last year, and that's above or double Fed's target rate. Uh, manufacturing inflation, as measured by PPI, strengthened as well to 4%. And obviously, that's driven by strong demand and, and also by supply chain disruptions. Interestingly, healthcare prices were flat and have not contributed to the recent increases. That's good. Also, if you look at the one month to 30 years treasury yield curve, you will notice that it is materially steeper than in 2020, with short-term yields actually lower than in 2020, but long-term yields are materially higher. And uh, even though the actual yields are still lower than in 2019, which tells you that we are still in relatively good interest rate environment. And I would say recognizing our limited ability to predict inflation levels or where inflation will go or how long it will stay. It's important to, for healthcare organizations to hedge your balance sheet, balance sheets against interest rate risk. And I would say the best way to do that is by simply having most of your long-term debt at a fixed rate and maybe some of the short-term or variable rate to capture low interest rate environment. That that's really interesting, Ernesto and I kind of perked up when you were saying how healthcare rates have not increased, even though we've seen rate increases in other industries. And yeah. first thing that came to mind was pricing transparency requirements that went into effect in January of 2019. And I wonder if it has hospitals, healthcare systems sensitive about rate increases at a time when they're being scrutinized and reviewed. So interesting to correlate the two. You know, you make interesting comment. Uh, I was thinking about that, but I was also thinking, is it maybe driven by the fact but that everybody uh, focused on COVID fighting and there were not many uh, 
elective procedures done. So it will be interesting to see how these things develop. Yeah. I think you're you spot on with your comment there. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I do have another question as it relates to mergers and acquisitions. So when it comes to healthcare, what are you seeing? Yeah, Kelly, I'll, I'll take that one. You know, I think, you know, healthcare M&A continues to be strong. And in some ways, it has become accelerated from the pandemic. In 2020, you probably saw a brief pause as uh, many providers and systems focused on treating those impacted by the virus and then also focusing on shoring up finances because of the lost revenue associated with not being able to perform those elective procedures. Um, but I'd say on the for-profit side, on you know, independent providers, I think there wasn't much of a dip. Uh, Kane Brothers, our own healthcare M&A platform, uh, had a record year in 2020, completing over 40 transactions. And, you know, as we, you know, continue in 21, I think you'll see um, strategic rationale for these entities um, crystallize. I think the pandemic illustrated that size and strength matter as larger and more diverse entities fared better through the pandemic. And those entities also became more aware of areas of stress. You know, the pandemic highlighted that for their organization. Um, and then I think as we focus on, you know, you know what, what other factors are driving it, I think on the, on the founder-owned uh, side, you're seeing, you know, all the talk in Washington around potential increases in capital gains, creating the general perception that heavier tax burdens await them if they delay transacting um, further out versus pursuing a transaction um, now. Um, so I think those are really kind of driving forces. And then I, I don't think there's been much change on the investor side. You know, investors continue to have an appetite, appetite for assets and valuations continue to remain high as they, there's a large pool of investors chasing a, a limited supply of assets. So I think 21 will, you know, in 2021, we'll continue to see activity at elevated levels. And I think the one trend you'll probably notice is the average transaction size will climb as large players continue to see the value and strength that comes from combining forces that maybe didn't exist as much prior to the pandemic. Darren, that's really fascinating. And I, we're definitely seeing that, right? Those mergers and acquisitions continuing. It's fascinating to think what it will look like if it'll just be one healthcare system in 10 years, or if it's going to still be multiple healthcare systems throughout. This is a random question for you because I was just thinking of it as you were responding, but we're starting to see more and more urgent care clinics popping up all over kind of to help um, people stay out of the hospital. That's their claim anyway. Uh, what are your thoughts on those? Do you think that's going to be a trend that continues or do you think they'll also be merged into these larger healthcare systems? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, 
overall, you're seeing the trend of trying to provide care in the lowest cost setting, right? Um, you know, there's been areas of the country that those urgent care facilities got overbuilt and, you know, some of those struggled, but there will always be a place for a, a setting that provides lower costs than the hospital. So I think what you'll see is more systems partnering with those uh, facilities. I think you see a lot in the ambulatory surgery center space where hospitals wanna be able to participate in that as more procedures flow into those venues. Awesome, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So thank you so much for sharing that insight with us. I have an additional question. That is, there's a lot to think about when it comes to running the business side of healthcare. What role does tax exempt and tax private placement play? Jeff, I'll take that one. Um, you know, the role of, of tax exempt debt and taxable debt plays an important role for capital financing for healthcare institutions. Specifically, private placement debt is something that we've seen expand in the last 10 years. And I think a lot of that has to do with just, just the high levels of liquidity banks and financial institutions have and have had really since the financial crisis going back to 2010. And so the market continues to be extremely strong. We're seeing financings um, from zero all the way up to $50 million being placed on banks' portfolios on a regular basis, including ours. And I think, you know, for healthcare institutions, the good news is is that the strength and profile of healthcare moving forward continues to be very strong. And in general, there's a great economic outlook for healthcare. And that's, you know, from all the analysts that are covering this area. Now let's talk just a, a little bit about tax exempt versus taxable debt. And as we all know, the current interest rate environment is extremely low. Lenders receive a benefit for tax exempt debt that really is just based on their federal tax rate of 21%. So when you're in a low interest rate environment, just the pure multiplication doesn't provide so much of an advantage for going tax exempt versus taxable. So what we've seen in the last couple of years has been kind of an interesting phenomenon. Borrowers have looked at the market on a value basis and they basically said, well, we can issue tax exempt debt, um, we know this product's out there, but why don't we consider going on smaller loans with shorter terms on going with taxable debt because at these incredibly low interest rates, the differential is pretty small and in some cases doesn't justify the difference in cost. Now, as interest rates increase and as we move forward in the market, I would fully expect most project financings that are over a million dollars or $2 million starting to add towards the tax exempt debt market again. I honestly didn't know that. That's really interesting to me. So thank you for sharing that. I know you'd always think that someone would want to go with the tax exempt, but the taxable being sometimes a better option. Wow. Who knew? I didn't. You guys do though. That's why you're here today. And back to Kendall's comment, if I can add, uh, if we expect cash flow crunch as a result of a new lows, I think this is a wonderful time to uh, rebalance balance sheet, maybe issue some, some uh, 
private placement debt on the long term and shore up the, the cash position of especially hospital systems in expectation of potentially potential challenges with cash flow delays. Excellent feedback. So good. I'm sure there's many CFOs listening to this that'll be like, okay, I got to pick up and call. That's a good thing. Thank you guys. Yeah, no, thank you guys. That's very insightful and very deep content for our listeners. And I, yes, our CFOs are definitely going to love this podcast. So I always love learning more about the healthcare finance and you've definitely done that today. And thank you uh, for joining the podcast today. It was fascinating. We love having your sponsorship as well. We, we appreciate you having us here. And again, it's wonderful to see you guys. Oh, it's so good to see you too. And I just also want to thank you very much for joining us today and wonderful information that you shared with us. So very, very appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Tammy, as we transition into the president's portion of the podcast, what updates do you have for our chapters and our listeners? Well, thanks for asking, Kelly. So I am pleased to announce that the Oregon HFMA is planning our first in-person conference for October 13th through 15th in Hood River or at the Oregon Hood River Best Western Hotel and Conference Center. So this conference is going to be a hybrid conference. So that means that we're going to live stream all of for all of our members who cannot attend. Um, But we really hope that you can uh, join us in person. There's going to be a lot of educational and networking events planned. So if you can join us, you will not be disappointed. I cannot wait. I can't say that enough. I'm excited. This is going to be fantastic. Great news, Tammy. It's been a long year. Yes, it has. So I'm so excited. It was a little tease to see a few of you last week. So we're all very excited to see the rest of our members and attendees this October. So looking forward to it. I just want to take one more opportunity to thank everyone for joining us today on this podcast. And we always like to extend our warmest wishes to Oregon HFA members. And also want to give a shout out to our amazing healthcare heroes who continue to work at making our lives healthier and happier. So thanks again to everyone. This episode of Imagine Amazing is brought to you today by KeyBank. To learn more, please visit www.key.com or follow them at KeyBank Health on LinkedIn. Thank you, KeyBank. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and all other popular podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Please find us, like us, and follow us for exciting content in 2021 through 2022. Also, to learn more about Oregon HFMA, please visit us at www.oregonhfma.org.